Howdy. Hey guys, my name is Benjamin Pinkerton. I'm the college pastor over at our Anderson campus. And it is always such a privilege to be here at Creekside because this is actually where I started. Uh, whenever I got done at AM, I worked with crew for a year, working specifically with cadets in the core at AM. And then this man that I really admired uh, calls me. His name is Matthew Morton. And Matt Morton calls me and he says, hey, we are starting a new campus of Grace Bible Church, Creekside. And I would love for you to come and start the youth and the Club 56 ministries here at Creekside. And knowing Matt and his heart, and he discipled me, he did me and my wife's premarital, I said, yes. And so us and like five other people originally started. I remember sitting in a little house and, and saying, uh, Matt specifically saying, this is what I want Creekside to be about. I want us to be a church that loves God, that loves people and makes disciples. I wanna keep it so simple. And, and I believe that over the past many years that Creekside has just bloomed into this amazing representative of the gospel of Jesus. And I do believe that the impact that this campus makes on uh, Bryan College Station is remarkable, but also all over the world. I 100% believe that. And so uh, I went to seminary, I came back, and I got to then move into college ministry as the college pastor here at Creekside. And then I transitioned over to Anderson's campus where Ben Clausen rose up to fill the college pastor role here at Creekside. So uh, if you're connecting the dots, I'm Benjamin Pinkerton and now Ben Clausen is here at Creekside and the Southwood College pastor's name is Ben Biles, right? So three Bens all running college ministry. It's a wonderful time. Uh, and so I uh, have something else in common with the other Bens. In fact, uh, this summer specifically, all of our lives changed quite dramatically. In fact, uh, my life changed because I had my second born, my first son. His name is James Roscoe Pinkerton. And uh, he's been a privilege, blessing. We have him, he's a two month old. And then we also have our firstborn who is a two year, two month old daughter by the name of Charlie Joy. And she loves her Bubba James, right? Bubba James, she's so helpful. Dude, she's, she's so helpful, guys. You don't understand. Uh, when, when my wife Kara's putting, her uh, putting him down, she's so great. She walks into the dark and she makes sure that he's loved and he's going down. She takes toys and starts chunking it at him and says, go to sleep, James, just like that. And I say that works every time. Uh, and also when he's crying, she knows exactly how to love him so well. She says, no cry, James. And she takes a passy and shoves it up his nose. And so she is uh, quite a good older sister. Uh, she's a handful. She loves him to death. It's been a joy and a privilege for me and my family uh, to have our second kid. And yes, I just wanted to talk about my family some, but also I think it ties into something I've been learning, especially after the second kid. Learning more and more that there are so many choices that we have to make every single day, right? Uh, the more responsibility I have, the more choices I have. And not only do those choices then impact me individually or now my spouse, but now it starts to impact my kids. And realizing these choices that we have over and over, there's so many, I couldn't help but think what would be so significant for us to learn from the book of Proverbs? Because what I want you to think about is how did you even get here this morning? How many decisions and choices did it take for you to be here at Creekside at the 11 o'clock service? Like the, the alarm, what time did the alarm go off? Did you have breakfast? What kind of breakfast did you have? Did you have coffee? Uh, how do you take your coffee? Uh, you know, what, how did you drive here? Did you drive in silence? Did you put on music? Did you uh, use GPS to get where you're going? Like me, who still uh, doesn't know my way around the world apparently, right? So this concept of choice after choice after choice. You're choosing all the time what to eat, what to wear, what to purchase, what to believe in, uh, what career to pursue. Uh, eventually the kids, well, who do my kids hang out with? What schools do I put them in? Uh, what am I going to make as my highest values? I have to make choice after choice after choice. Researchers at Cornell University estimate that the adult on average makes 230 choices every day on food alone. 230 choices every day on food alone. And there's more researchers that suggest and believe that the average adult makes 
35,000 choices every single day. 35,000 choices. There was an app called Noom, a psychology-based app that researched it. It asked 2,000 people about their decisions and how long it takes specifically to make those decisions. And what they found that on average of these 2,000 people, it took three hours to make four choices. Three, three hours of every single day to make just four choices. When to set the alarm, what to wear, what to watch, and what to eat. Four choices, three hours of your wake time. And I love this because when I, especially when I'm talking to married couples, it's hilarious because they're always like, yeah, that makes sense. Because you know, once you leave here, you're going to turn to your spouse. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but you turn to your spouse and just say, hey, where are we going to go eat? Pull out your watch and just start timing and see how long it takes. Don't do that if you value your marriage. Or tonight even. It's like, hey, we're going to watch Netflix. Kids go down. Okay, what do you want to watch? Pull out the watch and be like, here we go. We know that these choices take a lot of our life. And in fact, they actually define us. The reality is that who you are today and where you are today has been dramatically impacted by the choices that you made yesterday. And who you will be tomorrow and where you will be tomorrow is going to be impacted by the choices that you make today. So the skill, the wisdom of learning how to make the best choice, to make wise choices, uh, is so crucial for our life. Because it will impact your life. It'll impact your calling, your fulfillment, your success, your leadership. It will determine the trajectory of your life. Which leads to the big question, okay, how? How do I make wise choices? So if you will go ahead and turn with me into Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind us what we're doing this summer. As we're studying the book of Proverbs, what we're trying to learn over and over is how to gain wisdom. Wisdom, this, this ability to have the right knowledge, the truth, and then to apply that knowledge correctly into all the different decisions, choices, fears, seasons of our life. That if you can take this truth and live in a way that's skillful, then you will respond to the world, to your circumstances, to your choices with wisdom, specifically wisdom that comes from above, from the source of all wisdom. So I think Proverbs chapter three, verse five through six really gives us a springboard into how to make wise choices. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. I love it. Jake said it over and over. If you didn't catch that, making your path straight, we want to walk on the short and narrow, the straight path. We stray so often. What this verse or these two verses tell us is this. The first verse, it's two independent clauses that contrast one another. You can either trust, rely on, depend on the Lord with all of your being with all your heart, but that's really all of yourself, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Or you can do this. You can lean or rely on or trust in your own understanding. That somehow you can do one of those two options and you will do one of those two options with the choices that you make. And there are verse six says, acknowledge him. Acknowledge this idea of intimate knowledge of a person and his character. And therefore, if I trust him, who he is, and his power and authority in my life, I will then make choices that impact that relationship, that that are determined by that relationship. So it's an if-then statement. If you acknowledge him, he will make your paths straight. He will give you the wisdom to make the right choices that will impact dramatically your entire life, your entire family's life. So what I want to do today is I want to look at some really important things we need to know about our choices. Then I want to look at the, the significance, the importance of why it is so such an important skill to learn. And finally, the majority of my time, I really just want like Proverbs is just super applicational to say, okay, 
What is the biblical decision-making process, the filter, the questions that I should be asking myself as I make every choice and every decision in my life? What is the skillful way to live biblically wise? So let's jump right in. The first thing we need to know about our choices is this, that our choices reflect our values. Our choices reflect our values. And I wanna go a little deeper. Not only do our choices reflect our values, but our values reflect our purpose. And our purpose reflects our identity. So your choices are a reflection of your values and your values come from your purpose and your purpose stems from your identity. Let me give you an example. If you're a student at Texas A&M, that's your identity. You're, you're a student at Texas A&M. That's who you are. Okay, well, you have a purpose. And that purpose is to get a degree. And I know it's like, well, I like the extracurriculars and the clubs and all the other cool things that I can do as a student at Texas A&M. But all I have to do is say, fail all your classes and see if you can do the extracurriculars. You can't. Because the purpose of being a student at Texas A&M is to graduate from Texas A&M and get the degree. Now, if you are a student at Texas A&M, you have inherent values, or at least the, the culture wants you to adapt these values into your life as a student. So we have a value statement at Texas A&M about us, and, and it, it goes like this. An Aggie does not lie, cheat, or steal, nor... Wow. See, y'all know it, right? Y'all have inherited these values. But actually, it's funny, because those aren't actually our values. Those are the things not to do. Our values are actually, if you didn't know, we should memorize these, loyalty, integrity, excellence, leadership, selfless service, and respect. So those are our values coming from our purpose to get the degree because we are students at Texas A&M. But now my values reflect, are reflected in my choices. If you're a student and you're taking an online test, you have to decide, do I pull out my book? I'm in my room. I can cheat and look at the answers. I can, I can do these different decisions. I can make good grades. But you're breaking the values that come from your purpose, that come from your identity, that you are not living in line with who you are supposed to be. Let's go a little deeper. I am a husband. I am in marriage to my wife, Kara. As a husband, as my identity, as a husband, there's a purpose for my marriage. Genesis chapter one and two are very clear that, that God made Adam and Eve and he made them one flesh. And his purpose was that they might serve him. That's the purpose of marriage, to serve God, to, to reflect him and his image to the watching world. Be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth with the knowledge of God as a married couple. But my values, and if that's my purpose to reflect God, my values come from the word as well. Ephesians chapter five, which says, as a husband of Kara, I'm supposed to die daily to my wife's needs. I'm literally supposed to lay down my life, sacrifice my wants and desires so that I might allow my wife to flourish in her walk with Jesus. I now, knowing that those are my values, I have to make choices. And those choices are where it gets really hard because I'm at home and I wanna veg out at the TV or I wanna do something that's about me and my wife might need something else with our two-year-old and our two-month-old. And I might think to myself, I don't want to do that. In fact, I will ignore you. But if I do that, I am not living in accordance to my values that come from my purpose, which is ultimately my identity. Every choice we make is a reflection of what you perceive as your identity. And we can't get away from that. The second thing we need to know about our choices is that choices are unavoidable. Passivity or ignorance that's a choice too. To not make a choice is making a choice. The way I like to explain this actually, there's, there's this moment in the book of Joshua and Joshua who follows after Moses, who's led the people of God, the Israelites out of slavery. And they walk through the wilderness for all these years. He leads them finally into the promised land. They, they cross over the Jordan River and they take over all these cities. What Joshua keeps recognizing is that the people are always making choices. And those choices reflect who they worship. And they constantly are falling back into idolatry. They're not worshiping the covenant God who, who rescued them and proved that he is the one true God. They want to follow after all these other gods. Their choices are reflecting their worship. And so he turns to them 
in, in the last chapter of Joshua, and he says this, if you have no desire to worship the Lord, choose today whom you will worship. You will worship someone or something else. Whether it be the gods whom your ancestors worshiped before, beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But I and my family, or me and my family, we will worship the covenant God, Yahweh. That our choices are unavoidable. And specifically, what I mean is every choice you're making is showing what or who you worship. And so we need to be a people who just choose. This is who I will worship, and I have to make the choice. I can't stand back and just watch as it happens. I need to move forward into action, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into that in a minute. The third thing we need to know about our choices is that our choices always require sacrifice. All of our choices require sacrifice. It's actually in the nature of choosing, right? When you choose, you are saying that it is not neutral. Choices are never neutral. That when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something or everything else. When you say yes to one thing, you are saying no to something else. And this is why choosing is so hard. Because we're not like having to decide between this horrible, terrible thing right here and this amazing, perfect thing over here. We're constantly having to make choices that are the greatest thing, the best thing, and really, really good things. The problem is if I have to sacrifice, am I choosing my best yes and sacrificing that which is good, but, but which is not the best? The choices always require sacrifice. Now, why are your choices so important? Well, one, your choices have consequences. All your choices have consequences. And I, I, I believe that the older you get, the more you see this. I don't have to convince a group of people that your choices have consequences. And yet so often in college ministry, when I'm speaking with a student who's made some uh, really foolish choices, and I ask them, why did you make that choice? You, how was it not obvious this is where you were headed by making that choice? It's constantly like, I didn't really think about the consequences of my actions. And yet choices always have consequences. The scripture is full of it, right? You can either abide in Christ and bear much fruit, or you cannot abide in Christ and not bear any fruit. You can be fruitful or you can be fruitless. Proverbs over and over, you can walk in the path of wisdom or you can walk in the path of folly or foolishness. You can live the life that leads to abundant life, or you can make choices that will ultimately lead to death. Choices have consequences. What I love about Proverbs is it's written by primarily a man by the name of Solomon. Many of us know that Solomon, King Solomon, was the son of David. And God, Yahweh, comes to Solomon and asks him, what do you want? He will give him whatever he wants. And, and Solomon could ask for riches or power or influence, whatever. And what he asked from God was to have wisdom. God, give me wisdom, biblical, godly wisdom. So God gives him everything. Good choice, I guess, right? He gives him wisdom, but he gives him riches. He gives him influence. He makes him a global power. He allows him to build buildings that are so full of splendor and might and glory. And this man had it all. Like anything we could possibly imagine, he, he had or had the resources to get. And he ultimately makes a lot of foolish choices as the wisest person who ever lived, which is really great for us to see that we can have wisdom and still choose really poorly. See, what Solomon does is he decides, I'm gonna pursue everything this life has to offer. I'm gonna get everything the world says is worth chasing and pursuing and finding identity in and giving me comfort and control over my little kingdom. So he chases it all. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he explains this book of wisdom. He says, I chased it all. I got it all. I had everything I could have possibly wanted. And he says this in the end of Ecclesiastes as his thesis. He says, having heard everything, which again, none of us can say that. None of us can get everything and having heard everything and be the wisest person who's ever lived according to scripture. And he says, having heard everything, I have reached this conclusion. And if we're gonna be wise, we need to learn from his mistakes. He says, fear God 
and keep his commandments. Because this is the whole duty of humanity. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. As believers in Jesus, if we have put our faith in Jesus, believed the gospel that Jesus lived and died for our sins, rose again victorious, if we have a relationship with him, we have eternal life. That does not mean that we won't be judged based on our works. We can have eternal life with God forever, and yet 1 Corinthians, Ecclesiastes, Revelation, they all say the same thing. That as believers, we too will be judged based on the choices that we make. Every decision, including every hidden thing that no one else knows about, it will be determined as good or evil. So it's a sobering reality that our choices have consequences. But not only do they have consequences, our choices shape us. Our choices develop us. They're changing us into someone, into something. We are pursuing something with the choices that we make. We all make choices, but in the end, our choices make us. Uh, when I was in seminary, there was this, there's this guy, this theologian that, that is named James K.A. Smith. And he wrote a couple books, but two of those books, pretty, pretty amazing. The first book, Desiring the Kingdom. He talks about how every single human being is a desiring creature. We are made to pursue that which we desire most. And in fact, we can't help it. We will chase after what we desire most. We decide this is the good life. If I make these choices, it will get me to that end result, that telos, the the best life I could possibly have. And we're going to make choices to get there. Now, oftentimes we don't realize that's what we're doing, but he argues, in fact, in his second book, you are what you love, that every choice we make is showing what we love most and that our choices are shaping us. He said this in an interview when they asked him, what do you mean you are what you love? He says this, it's your love that governs your actions and your pursuits. Indeed, you are more defined by what you love than what you think or know or believe. We are creatures of habit that God knows this since he created us. And thus our gracious redeeming God meets us where we are by giving us spirit empowered, heart calibrating, habit forming practices to retrain our loves. If we don't take this seriously, we will in effect be giving ourselves over to all of the rival habit forming practices of our culture. Why does this church push us to actually do stuff? Why do, we, why do we want to be a people who spend time in the word of God? Why do we want to do spiritual disciplines and practices of abiding with Jesus, silence and solitude and scripture memory? Why do we want to do fasting and prayer? Why do we want to put these practices in our life that because we believe that the practices we put, the choices that we make are in fact shaping us. We are becoming someone based on the things that we do. So your choices are shaping you. They're developing you. We need to recognize that I will be different in a year from now based on the choices I make because of the choices that I made. The last thing that makes it so important, why our choices matter so much, is that our choices drive us to our destination. It's pretty obvious, but our choices drive us to our end result. There's this moment, Lewis Carroll's classic, Alice in Wonderland. And Alice comes to a fork in the road. The Cheshire cat appears. And she asks the cat, which path should I take? Left or right, which path? And the cat turns to her and says, well, that all depends on where you want to go. If you don't know where you want to go, it doesn't really matter the path that you take. That's a sobering reality. That we need to be a people that know where we want to go as we make the choices that we make. Because if you don't care where you're going, you're just gonna walk aimlessly without purpose and be shaped and formed and be in a destination that you never intended to be. So let us be a people, let us be a people who really understand that and make choices with wisdom to get us where we wanna go. Now that's the what and the why. Let's talk practically. How do we make biblically informed, wise decisions. 
Here's the application. Walk, choose to walk in God's will by trusting in God's word. You must choose to walk in God's will by trusting in God's word. Now, this is a little bit of a play on words, on the word, word. Uh, that last word, in that line. Choose to trust in God's word. The Bible speaks of God's word in, in two different ways. It talks about a person, and it talks about a revelation that points to that person. It talks about the person of Jesus, the word, but also the Bible is called the word, which points to the word, who is Jesus. John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through this word and nothing was made that was made without this word. And in this word was life and the life was the light of men. And that word shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And then in verse 14 of chapter one of John, and that word became flesh. And that, that word dwelt among us and we have seen the glory of that word of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So what does it mean for us first to be a people who trust in God's word? Well, it's to trust and believe in the person and the work of Jesus. So if you didn't know, Jesus called the eternal word is God in the flesh. And the reason that Jesus had to come to earth and to put on flesh and dwell among us was because there was a separation in relationship of humanity and of God. See, God created all things good and he made Adam and Eve, our first humans in the garden. And he gives these humans freedom to choose and, and to name animals and to have authority and to be fruitful and multiply and to bring glory to God. And he gives them a choice. He says that you can, in this one moment, choose to obey me and not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you can eat from it, but then you will die. What he says is you can either worship me, submit to me, submit to me, obey me, walk in your, your identity as an image of God, or you can choose to have a cosmic rebellion against your creator. And you can try and lift yourself up to be God. And Adam and Eve choose to disobey. They choose to sin. They choose to walk away. And by walking away from God's will, they separate their relationship with God. The Bible tells us that the result of sin is always the same thing. It's always death. Death has to be paid for always because of sin. Well, God looking at us, loving us so deeply, knowing that there's a, relationship, a relational gap between us because of our sin, he looks at us and says, I love them so much that I wanna draw them back into a relationship with me. They can't be good enough for my relationship and therefore I have to fix what was broken. And that's why Jesus had to come. That God sent his own son, Jesus, God in the flesh, put on flesh, became a human being, lived a perfect life. Every choice that Jesus ever made was always the right choice. Jesus always chose what was right and good. He always submitted to the will of God. He never disobeyed. He never sinned. And yet, Jesus had to die because sin requires death. And we couldn't pay the penalty of our sins. So Jesus had to pay it for us. That Jesus was arrested and he was tortured and he was crucified. He was murdered on a cross, put in the grave because of our sin. And yet Jesus rose from the dead victorious three days later. Jesus proved once and for all, he is who he said he was, that he is God in the flesh. I am who I am. So Jesus proves that he is our savior. And if we simply trust in Jesus, his person and his work, then we can have a relationship with God. And I hope that if you're a believer in this room, you do not grow tired of someone getting on a stage and telling you the gospel. 
I hope that we constantly are a people that are reminding ourselves the most important thing about us is not how much we know, what we think, what we do, but ultimately what has been done for us. And what God has done for us is he has paid the penalty of our sin that we could have life with God. So when I say first and foremost, walk in God's will by trusting in God's word, I want us all to realize the only way you're gonna grow in maturity, the only way that you're gonna have life eternally is by trusting in God's word, believing the gospel. So I just invite you, if you've never trusted in the gospel, that today could be the day. He doesn't tell you to like do all these different things. He simply says, believe in me, trust in me. Now I wanna dig a little bit deeper though into trusting in God's word. See, now that we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh and he did what he said he would do and he loves us unconditionally, there are now some things that we need to do if we're going to make wise choices. I'm gonna do this again, sorry. The first thing is that we must follow Jesus's commands. Follow Jesus's commands. If you wanna make wise choices, you must follow Jesus's commands. And what does Jesus command of his people? Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31 says this. A man comes to Jesus and says, what is the most important rule of life? What's the most important thing I'm supposed to do as a follower of the covenant God, Yahweh? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And there's a second that's just like it. Because if you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then of course you're gonna love his image bearers. You're gonna love other human beings. No matter what they look like, how they think, how they talk, who they vote for, you're gonna love them because that is my great commandment for you. So he says, the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment to the people of God than those. Love God and love people. There's this moment in John later that his disciples come and Jesus says, if you want to be marked by, my, by being a follower of me, if you wanna be a disciple after me, that the world recognizes you are a follower of Jesus, then this is what you must do. He says, if you want to be marked as a follower of Jesus, you must go to seminary and get a degree. You must attend church every Sunday, be in a small group, read your Bible, memorize scripture, give to the poor, Give tithe. That's how the world's gonna know that you're a follower of Jesus. That's not what he says. That's why you laugh. And yet sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that's the most important way that we show the world how to follow God. But Jesus says this, I give you a new commandment. You love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. Everyone will know this, by this, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The first question you ask when you're trying to make a choice is, is my choice loving? Is my choice loving? The choice that I'm about to make, does it reflect my identity as a loved child of God, unconditionally loved, and now I'm also loving God and loving people? First question you ask. Now, the second thing following Jesus' commands is Jesus says, yes, love God and love people, but also he gives a mission to every follower of Jesus. He says, if you're gonna be my disciple, you have what is known as the great commission. And that is to make disciples. I get this question all the time. What is God's will for my life? You'd be surprised, but that's a hefty question. But what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? And it's funny because I actually have an answer every time. Like, I don't know the nuances of what you're talking about, but I can tell you what God wants you to do. He wants you to make disciples. He wants you to make disciples. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you are called to make disciples if you are a disciple. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20 is the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says this to his disciples before he leaves them. He's giving, giving them a mission. This is the last thing I'm telling you, go and do this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus says is you need to make disciples. Wherever you go, as you are going, make disciples. And as you are going to make disciples, what you need to do is you need to baptize people. 
Meaning, bring them into the family of God. Tell them the gospel so that they might receive the gospel, believe the gospel, and become followers of Jesus in the family of God. But also, you are called to then teach them how to observe all that Jesus commands us. To grow in obedience and submission to the Spirit of God following after Jesus' words and example. And that's why I love this next verse. This is found in Romans, where Paul says this. He says, how are they to call on one they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in one that they have not heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel, the good news. Convicting reminder But what God tells us is to make disciples, not just make disciples, but make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. That God calls us to go make disciples of all nations and to do some specific things. The reality is that there are people all over the world that don't have access to the gospel. This is always a sobering reminder that we are so blessed that we have a church on every corner, right? And, And some of them proclaim the gospel. But the reality is that there's many places in this world that haven't. And that's why there is an imperative for believers of Jesus to consider the question, has he ever called me to go and have I listened well? And that's a question all of us have to wrestle with at some point or another, either sending or going ourselves because that's participating in the Great Commission. But not only are we seeking to baptize them all over the world and here in our cities, but also we are called to grow them into maturity to grow in observing all that Jesus commanded. Colossians chapter one, verse 28 through 29. We proclaim Jesus by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that for the purpose that we may present every single believer of Jesus, every person mature in Christ. Towards this goal, I also labor struggling according to his power that powerfully works in me. So what we are called to do is to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. And those disciples become mature and look more like Jesus and walk by the Spirit and love God and love people and make disciples. That is our mission. So if that is our purpose, leading to our values, this is the question you need to ask. Will my choice help other people find and follow Jesus? Will this choice that I make help other people find Jesus, baptize, and follow Jesus, observe all that I have commanded you. Now, not only do we follow the words of Jesus, his commands, but we also follow Jesus' example. We follow Jesus' example. See, there's something Jesus models for us. He is God in the flesh. He's a second person of the Trinity, and yet he constantly gets away by himself, away from the crowds, away from his disciples, and spends alone time talking with his father. And he does that, If there was ever a person that didn't need to do that, it was Jesus, and yet he does it. He does it for lots of reasons. I don't know all of them, but one of the reasons is because he gives us a great example of what it means to abide in the Father. There's all these different passages. I pulled out three. Mark 135, Luke 5, 16, Luke 6, 12. All of them say the same thing. Jesus gets up early in the morning when it's still dark. He departs. He goes out to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. Yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. Now it was during this time that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and he spent all night in prayer to God. I just pulled three. There's many different moments, but I love this last one because it's the only time in scripture that it shows Jesus praying all night. Jesus prays all night. And what's the very next thing Jesus does in Luke 6, 12? He chooses his disciples. One of his most important things he's going to have to choose is which men is he going to invest his life and then build his church with. So he spends all night in prayer and then he chooses his disciples. Now the question we need to ask is, have we sought God? See, James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't know how to make the right choice, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. James 1, 5 question we need to ask ourselves is, have I sought God 
for help making this decision. It's remarkable. Man, confession, it's so easy to rely on your own understanding. Even in preparing a sermon. I can prepare a sermon thinking, what do the people need? What should I do? What should I read? What should I teach? And I can literally go through an entire time of prepping a sermon without ever once turning to God, the source of all wisdom, who's only going to be the one to make transformation happen and not ask him, God, give me wisdom and how I'm supposed to preach and teach. Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to say it? What do you want me to say? And the thing is that that happens to all of us in so many of our life that we make choices based on our own understanding and we try and love God and love people and make disciples. And, and often when I get people ask me, how do I make the right choice? And I say, well, have you spent time in solitude and just prayed about it? I mean, Jesus spent an entire night in prayer and then chose disciples. How much time have you spent with God of the universe who is the source of wisdom? And so often it's like, I don't know. I, I didn't really think about doing that. So this question is so important. Is it loving? Does it help people find and follow Jesus? But also, have I actually asked him? And secondly, we learn about Jesus' example is that Jesus submits to God. He submits to the authority of his heavenly father. He gives God the father control over his life. And that's an example that Jesus sets for all of us. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is with his disciples and he says, I want you to stop here, stay alert and pray. I'm gonna go off alone. And he goes off alone again and he spends time with his father. This is right before he's arrested and tortured and murdered. And we actually get to see what Jesus said to his father in that prayer. Luke chapter twenty-two, forty-two. Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That Jesus asks God if there's any other way, but your will be done. This is similar to what Jesus says in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the will of God and all these things will be added to you. This is a hard one for us. The more we have, the harder it is actually. Because the more you have, the more you feel like you have control. And here's the question. Does my choice seek comfort and control over obeying God's will? Does this choice reflect my relationship with God in faith? Or is this a fear-based decision that's trying to choose comfort and control? Let me tell you, our flesh is so strong. You can't tame the flesh. The flesh wants to self-glorify. The flesh wants to say, you be the captain of your own soul. You get to do whatever you want to do. And everything you have is because you worked for it. And all the blessings you have is because you deserve it. And so therefore, you better hold on to that and build a name for yourself. That's what the flesh does. And yet, when we ask this question, it reminds us of Jesus. Any other way, Father, but not my will, but your will be done. Let us pray that same prayer in our choosing does this choice seek comfort and control over obeying the will of God? Now, not only did I say we looked at the word, the person of Jesus, his commands and his examples, but also I just want to look quickly at a couple of verses that the scriptures points out to us about choosing wisely. And this is found all throughout Proverbs. Seek wise counsel. You want to make wise choices? Well, you ask them questions. Is this choice loving? Does this help people find and follow Jesus, right? Is this seeking comfort and control over God's will? But also, you need to seek wise counsel. Many verses in Proverbs say this exact same thing. When there's no guidance, a nation falls, but there is success in the abundance of counselors. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many counselors, with many advisors, with many wise friends, they succeed. If you want to make wise choices, you need to surround yourself with wise people. So here's the question you needed to ask. Have I sought wise counsel? We really emphasize the wise part. 
You don't just want a lot of people telling you what they think you should do. You want wise counselors. And how do you know if they're wise? Well, do they love God? Do they love people? Do they want to make disciples? Do they want you to love God, love people, make disciples? Are they going to push for you to be holy over seeking comfort and control? Are they going to tell you what you need to hear? Are they actually going to give you the words of God through a friend? That's wise counsel. There's a reason we do community groups and small groups and Bible studies. There's a reason that we do fun things like go play big shot. Like, I mean, that sounds really fun to me. I'd be there, not just to golf, but also because I know if I go, I'm gonna be surrounded by people. And you know what I'm doing when I'm in a group of guys? I say, man, who here is worthy of following? Who is wise? Who can I learn from? Who can I ask questions and learn from them about how to live appropriately and wisely? that you have so many opportunities through the church to find wise friends. So please dive in to community if you don't have it. The second thing scripture tells you to do besides just seeking wise counsel is analyze your heart, analyze your motivations. I've already hit the seeking comfort and control aspect, but Jeremiah is very clear. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand the heart of man? And that's why David cries out in Psalm chapter 139, search me God and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any idolatrous tendency in me and lead me in the reliable ancient path. David shows us something that often our hearts will go astray. We will even ask for the wrong things because we ask with selfish motives which is exactly what James says in chapter four, verse three. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask with the wrong heart posture. You ask so that you may spend it on your own selfish pleasures. Great question to ask yourself. And really to ask the Lord is pray what David prayed. God, as I'm making this choice, search me and show me there's anything in me that's trying to, to pursue the fleshly way. God, help me because my heart is desperately wicked and is desperately deceitful. Help me, Spirit of God, make the right choice. And lastly, as we wrap up, I spent an entire message talking about the, the, the what's of your choosing and the importance of the why of your choosing and how to choose, but there's something that you have to recognize when you make choices. And it's this, you need to recognize your freedom. The counsel I give the most to college students, especially who are trying to make the next choice, where to go, what career, who to marry, or all these big questions, is what I see over and over is we as a people are paralyzed by all the decisions we have to make. We face decision paralysis. We are so worried and filled with so much pressure about making the wrong choice that we don't make any choices at all. This happens all the time. I don't know what's right, but I'm more worried about doing what's wrong or messing up or screwing up my life than I am about trying to walk in obedience, which is just fear. It's fear talking. If you've really asked all these questions and gone through this filtering process, is my choice loving? Does it help people find and follow Jesus? Have I analyzed my heart and sought wise counsel? Have I thought through my comfort and control? Have I really sought the will of God, submitted to him, spent time with him, asked of the Lord? If all those things are true and I'm still getting to a place where it's 50-50, I don't really know. And this is what I tell people. Just make a choice. Just choose. Because you've gone through the process. Stop living in paralysis and fear and just walk in boldness and confidence knowing you've already gone through the process. You've asked the people around you. And honestly, when I go through all those processes, almost always I come up with an answer. But if you get to that place where you have nothing, then I say, man, recognize that God gave you so much freedom. And he gave us a choice in the garden. He gave Adam a choice on how to name the animals. He gives us so much freedom to choose. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set you free. And in Psalms, it talks of the fact that we are like on a field and it's a field of freedom and we get to choose and walk in the will of God and it's supposed to be joyful. And yet, 
So often, that's not how people live that are followers of Jesus. They live in paralysis and fear of always making the wrong decision with all this pressure on you. And I just want you to know, go through the process, go through the filters, and then walk in confidence and in boldness. Make an impact. Pursue the Lord for his glory and his good. So, just to recap, right? your choices, they, they reflect your identity. Your choices are unavoidable, and your choices require sacrifice. They're important because they have consequences. They shape and develop you, and ultimately they drive you to a destination. And lastly, we just said if you want to make biblically wise decisions and choices, then go through these different questions. Choose, choose to walk in God's will by trusting in God's word. Let's pray. Let's ask him to make wise choices. Father, we just come to you recognizing that choices define us so often that our days are filled with choice after choice after choice. And those choices have consequences and they shape us and, and they're important, God. And they reflect what we believe about ourselves and they reflect what we love. They reflect what we worship. They reflect so many things about us. God, please give us wisdom. You are the source of all wisdom. Help us to make decisions and choices that reflect our gospel identity as unconditionally loved children of God who have been set free to participate with you in mission, in loving people. God, I pray specifically right now for any person in this room that is right now having to make a hard choice which is probably a lot of people. And God, I just pray that whatever that choice is, however hard it is, God, I pray that you would allow us to go through this process of thinking about how to make this decision based upon your will by trusting in Jesus and his commands and his example. We trust in the word, the revelation about your character, your righteousness, how we ought to live. God, I pray that you would allow us to make the choice God, fill our living rooms with wise counsel fill this church with people that are ultimately walking by the Spirit saying you're good and your worthiness is so much more significant than anything I could pursue for my own kingdom, for my own identity. But I just pray that you would make us more and more like Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. We pray this all in his name by the power of the Spirit. Amen.